If you're uh, visiting today, we are taking this fall to look at uh, the book of Psalms. We're looking at the first book, which is Psalm 1 through 41, most written by David. Now, the reason that we're looking at the Psalms is because uh, our theme is this. Uh, Often we know the lyrics of the gospel, but we've never heard the music of the gospel. And, And so what you see, even in the psalm that we just sang, that's Psalm 73. Here's a man of God saying, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. He's wrestling with how do I believe the gospel that God has appeared to Israel and ultimately to the church and to the world uh, because as I look around me, I don't think things are going too well, right? Do you see that in that hymn that we just sang? And so it's important to to screw uh, a hole in the top of your head. And me too. To bore down. Because if you're not wrestling with the gospel, you don't get the gospel. And so that's why we're looking at the Psalms, okay? Now today, we're going to look at Psalm 14. This is an important psalm because basically this psalm says something about every one of us in this room, including your pastor, and that is that we are by nature fools. We're by nature fools. I've been a Christian for 40-something years, and I, and I can still be a fool. And so can you. And so our psalm tells us about this, but it gives us great hope in the midst of foolish people. If you would, I want you to turn to Psalm 14. It's there printed in your bulletin because we believe that this is the Word of God. Uh, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. They have no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the name of the Lord. There they are in great terror. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is His refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of His people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Psalms. They're powerful. Because men who are writing uh, their very emotions are at the same time writing the very words of God. And Lord Jesus, we know that you feasted upon these psalms, for they speak of you. Great encouragement to you is you had to learn discipline as a man, as our substitute. God, we confess to you that we can be so foolish. And so, Lord, would you teach us how the gospel applies to fools? And we ask it in your name. Amen. 
Uh, I'm sure you've heard the term uh, fool's gold. You've heard that term, fool's gold? Uh, the reason I, I thought about this term is as I was reading the psalm, the psalm does speak about fool, right? The fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And so I started looking up other scriptures about, about the fool and what the God says about the fool. And uh, what's kind of interesting in our, our, our text, it kind of actually says, we all are, right? There's none who's righteous. Not even one. Uh, and so, so I started thinking about this term, and I looked up the term fool's gold, and, and it was first used in uh, 1872 in an article, Fool's Gold and How We May Know It. It was found in the Indiana Progress newspaper. You can write that down in your notes for you note takers. And I want to read what it says to kind of launch us off into trying to understand what this means. What he's saying about the fool. Um, But before the term came up, they used that term. It really goes back to the 16th century when all the explorers were coming and they were coming to America and they were taking all the goods out and uh, they were becoming wealthy uh, through uh, selling furs and tobacco and so on and so forth, right? Trade. And so there was, a, there was an Englishman whose name was uh, Martin Frobisher, and he was an explorer. So he goes to Canada, and he finds gold, like by the boatloads. So he starts shipping tons of gold over to England. And, uh, of course, uh, when they began to, to, to burn it down, uh, they found out that it wasn't gold. They didn't know exactly what it was because it was from America, but it wasn't gold. In fact, he was shipping tons of stuff that people were initially buying it at great, at great cost. He was making a great profit until everybody found out that it was fool's gold. It had no real value in it. And so the article goes on to say this. There are several minerals which are sometimes mistaken for gold, but the two which are most apt, and here's the phrase, to give rise to deception in this matter are pyrites and mica, and hence they are sometimes called fool's gold. Now, don't we like to think that we get a good value when we buy something? Man, I got a good deal on that. And the last thing you want is to be sold a bill of goods, right? Because then you're an idiot. Oh, you bought that piece of junk for how much? Uh, and so we, we watch TV, and, and, and so here's this guy trying to sell a product. But you're going, hey, I don't believe you. You just want me to buy your product. And then you have the testimonials. Oh, no. What he's telling you is the truth. And because, because there's some standard this over here, then you're willing to buy the product. And then found out they got paid a lot of money to lie to you, but uh, it's another story. Um, now, I think I mentioned this, but I, I remember my first big purchase was $1,100 Volkswagen. Did I, I might have talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If I did, bear with me, because uh, I think it's to the point. But So I'm 18 years old. I worked real hard. I saved my money, and I wasn't going to ask my daddy or anybody to buy my car. And so I start looking for a car, and I find this Volkswagen hatchback. You remember the old hatchback Volkswagens in 1969? I learned a lot about that car later. <sighs> so, so I go, and, uh, and my wife is with me, my dear wife, who we just started dating. So I was trying to, you know, impress her that I, you know, I knew what I was doing. I'm a man. I'm buying my own car. One of these days, I'll take care of you, whatever. 
So, so we go in, you know, and she's with me, and there's this sweet lady with a, you know, she has a bun in her hair, and she has pictures of Jesus on the wall. So I'm thinking, we're good. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, basically I was ready to, to, to uh, buy the car right there without even driving it. And I thought, she said, well, you need to drive it around the block. And I said, okay. So I drove around the block. Mirabis gets in the car, and we're driving around the block. And boo, it just putters around. And, of course, it was level ground. There was no hills in that neighborhood. And so, <laughs> so anyhow, to make a long story short, um, I, I, I buy a car for $1,100. I don't horse trade. Matter of fact, I was ready to give her an extra $100 because I felt sorry for her. But I asked her, I said, ma'am, have you had any trouble with this car? No, the Lord has blessed me with this car. I said, okay, great. So we get in the car and we write the check. And uh, we're riding back over to Mary Beth's house. And all of a sudden, this huge thunderstorm comes up. Did I tell the story I might have? Well, bear with me. So, you know, I cut the you know, windshield wipers on and, you know, it's doing this number. Man, it's a big storm, and so I cut it on high, and so it goes faster, see? I got low and high on this thing, and then also went on and falls off. <laughs> and uh, it just falls off in the road. And so I'm kind of pulling over, and, and of course, Mary Beth, see, you have to know Mary Beth appreciate this, because she's trying to encourage me, because she's already figured out I've been suckered. She says, oh, well, at least this one works. <laughs> and about, no, this is the truth. About the time she said that, that, it fell off. And so it fogs up in the car. You remember how they used to have the vents in the car, you know, to unfog it? So I grab the vent and I pull the vent and about 10 gallons of water drops out in our lap. And I had been had and it was embarrassing. Fool's gold. Now, the world has always had fools and followers of fools. Sometimes the best fools are the ones that believe what they actually say. It's, you know, scripture says they deceive others because they themselves are deceived. They can, they can convince themselves that everything that they're saying is true, and they, they're so good at it, they convince the massive amounts of people. And so people do all kind of crazy things because they follow fools. Now, let me tell you something. Products are important. Let me tell you what's a whole lot more important is your soul. And you better be real careful who you're investing and what ideas you're investing your life in and the decisions that you make. Because our text tells us that we by nature are fools and will believe anything but the Word of God, which is ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. They crucified Him. They didn't like what He had to say. In fact, Jesus tells us we are evil. Now, that's what our text deals with. And <clears throat> so here's what I'd like to say this morning. The only thing that keeps us from being fools is getting information from the right source. And all else is fool's gold. Where are you getting your information from? There's a wonderful proverb that says this. In fact, it, there's a, there was a theologian named A.W. Pink. I'm sure you've read A.W. Pink, Johnny Long, one of my great favorite theologians. But A.W. Pink was English. But he had, back in the turn of the century, in the 19th century, there was a huge movement of Eastern religion. And he got, very, he got into that. He, he rejected the Church of England and got into Eastern religion. And he became a guru. 
And he was, he was uh, speaking all around London. And so he was asked to go to uh, India to speak. And so the night before he was supposed to get on the boat to go there, his father was just a, kind of a blue-collar guy. And, uh, and so uh, he went up to take a bath. And right before he went to take a bath to get ready to go to bed to get on that boat, his father said, A.W., I love you, and I, I'm not near as smart as you. But I want to tell you one thing. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, to a man, but the end are the ways of death. He got in that bathtub working on his talk. God the Holy Spirit began to take the Word of God to show them that all the worldview that he had constructed, he was a fool. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is pointed once for a man to die. And after that, the judgment. So I would say that God gives you His Word this morning out of Psalm 14 for you to consider if you yourself are foolish. And you know, the answer of it is, yes, you are. And if you don't think you're a fool, then you're the biggest fool. So, um, three things I want to say as I looked at this text. One, uh, I want us to look at the fool's source of information. Because you've got to get information from somewhere. Everybody in this room, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're getting your information from somewhere. Secondly, the problem with the source of the fool's information. And then finally, only the God of grace who knows all the information can change the fool's trust in the wrong information. You do not have all the information. He does. And only He can change a fool's heart. Would you consider this morning that you and I, you and me, you and I, are fools in need of God's grace? Does that put us all on the same page? So the source of information. The fool's source of information. Let's look at verse 1. You see it real clear. Look at there in your text. See what God's Word says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Notice it doesn't say the mind. It says the heart. And in the Eastern mindset, what made a man, made the man was more than his intellect. But his intellect and his emotions and his will, they were much more savvy than us. It's an important distinction. For you see, a fool is not someone who is unintelligent. Now, you can be a fool and be probably not as, and not be intelligent. Matter of fact, I would say, if you don't know the Bible very well and you've been a Christian a long time, then you know what? You're a fool because you're lazy. You don't know God's Word and what God's Word says, so it's not holding you in check because you're buying into the, all the other information that's out there. All the fool's gold that's there. But a person can be extremely intelligent and be a fool. Some of the most brilliant people in the world are fools. And the reason is because the text tells us the source of their information. And it's their heart. Let me ask them, have you ever heard, follow your heart? Have you ever, has anybody ever heard that? In our culture today, I just do what your heart tells you to do, man. If your heart tells you to do it, do it. Hey, you want to sleep with that person? Hey, you go ahead. You're in love. Follow your heart. 
So the problem is Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand the heart? I, the Lord, try the, the reins of the heart. Some put it this way, that deny the truth. They say all of life is interpretation. That's all, all life. There's no truth. There's only interpretation. And to put it in layman's terms, it's when people say, well, if you believe that and that works for you, that's wonderful. But uh, I don't believe that. And so that means that whatever it was you believe is not really true. It's irrelevant. It's invaluable. It doesn't matter. And people don't even understand that that in itself, as we'll see later, is a faith commitment to say such things. Here's the problem with saying things from your heart and not from your intellect. Is you say your intellect is not value neutral. You get that? Whatever you think, as we'll see, is predicated by thoughts you didn't have before. Thinking does not take place in a vacuum. And let me give you an example of that. The university. Okay, the university is a place where we're supposed to be the most open... Uh, Intelligent people. We have professors that are here. And they'll tell you probably there's more politics that goes on at the university than there ever went on in a church. But if a guy's a, a professor and he's a liberal arts professor or a philosophy professor and he goes to University of Georgia and he's a big, I mean, he teaches there and he's a big dog fan uh, and the ref makes a, a, a call against Georgia, you know what, even if the ref is right, I guarantee he's probably in all his openness going to go, hey, that's a bad call. Why? Because he likes Georgia. There's something that's affecting the way he's looking at reality. I mean, I've seen it on the, the billboard before. A guy steps out of bounds and everybody's like, he's not out of bounds. And I'm going, whoa, he's that far out of bounds. And I'm a Georgia fan. And you're going, oh my gosh. I'm trying to shepherd people. Everybody's got their angle. Don't you think that on the second row, third row, fifth row? Do you have your angle on things? Oh, yes. And you will keep your angle on things if God doesn't have mercy upon your soul. Because, you see, repentance is when you begin to see that you're looking at your own angle and not exactly what God says. It's your angle. You're angling for it. One of the, the most profound books I've ever read is a book by a gentleman named... Dr. Richard Weaver. He wrote a book called Ideas Have Consequences. He wrote it in 1948. And uh, I was reading this book, and it's a very profound book. In fact, as I was reading the book, there's a guy who wrote, uh, you remember the, you know, the TV show All Things Considered on PBS? He kind of started that, produced it, a guy named Ken Meyer. And I, heard, I was hearing him lecture uh, on some tape, and he said, oh yes, that book is the most dog-eared book in my library. And I understand why, because as I read it, it's, it's the greatest analysis of what was going to happen at the turn of the 20th century when he said this, that the 20th century will be marked by the age of resentment. And why is there an age of resentment? Because he said, we no longer believe in universals. We no longer believe in university. And so we submit ourselves to the first cause, to, to, to the universals. And so rather than thinking about oneness, we think in terms of diversity. He used that word. Have y'all ever heard that word diversity? You're university more or diversity more? You're diverse. We need to have, we need to have diversity. I believe, in, I believe in diversity. I mean, I want my head not to be my hand. But I want it all to be hooked up together. 
and not the particulars laying on the table. And so he said the reason that man cannot think rightly anymore is because he will not accept a universal because once he does, he is admitting guilt. You got that? And so we don't talk about masculine and feminine anymore. Uh, Nan, I think it's going to be a great thing. What does it mean to be a woman of God? Well, the world says the only difference between men and women is our sex. And the Bible says, no, your sex, your physical makeup, was to reflect the metaphysical reality of what it means to be feminine and masculine. Well, why can't we say that? Because you're admitting there's a way that you should look at life. And when you do, you're guilty. And the fool cannot have it that way. You understand what I'm saying? Ladies and gentlemen, your heart and my heart affects how you're hearing this sermon right now. If you're a fool, you're going to continue to harden your heart. So what is a fool? The definition of a fool is a proud willfulness that keeps us from learning. Verse 4 says, they never learn. They have no knowledge. Knowledge about what? Knowledge about God. The triune God. The only true God. I've been asked many times to, well, twice, to, to say the prayer at the University of Georgia. Wouldn't that be nice to go to Sanford Stadium and get to wear a robe? What if y'all think I started wearing a robe on Sunday? But anyhow, I, I digress. Uh, and uh, get up there and, and pray and, and, and give God the glory for all that He's doing at the university. And so, uh, so I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And then it was the Dana students. He said, uh, by, by the way, I probably... Um, let me tell you how you ought to say this prayer. I said, okay, since you're the theologian, go ahead and tell me how am I supposed to pray. And he said, well, we need to, we need to uh, not, we need to be inclusive. I said, what do you mean by that? And, of course, I'm playing dumb. And, uh, and so, of course, after he told me what God was, well, I was going to pray to, I said, well, that's not my God. That's a, you need to get a Unitarian. I'm Trinitarian. God is one in three persons. Each person of the Godhead working for out your salvation in their role. Not three persons, one God. Not three guys, one God, three persons. But people do not want to know this God. You understand that? Let me tell you something. You, apart from God's grace, you don't want to know Him. And the only reason that you'll submit to Him, as we'll see later, is the grace of God. So the source is, 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 uh, is the heart, right? Now, can I, can I show you the problem with the source according to the Bible, the Word of God? Uh, notice what it says in verse 1. So the, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Maybe you're saying that. You're going, I don't know. I don't really know if I believe this. Well, notice what it says. Uh, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Now, if you look at Psalm 53, Psalm 53 is almost identical to this psalm. So I think God is trying to make the, get the point out there really clearly that to say that there is no God is to be a fool. And why? Because, because I'm just telling you that our will... Our emotions. Would you say our emotions are affected 
by heart. Do you, let me ask you, when you ever get in an argument with somebody, you say, hey, you're really right, you're really right. You wouldn't be arguing. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. So notice a couple of things about this corrupt heart. Well, here's what we all have to admit. Number one, uh, to say there is no God is a, it's a philosophical impossibility. To put it another way, uh, that's a universal negative. Like I'm, just, I'm just showing you where your, our, our thinking gets corrupt. Right? So, so we, see this, we say there's God. Can we prove God? Well, there's a lot of proofs for God. Okay, but can I prove God? Well, if I could prove God, then he would just simply be a formula. But there's plenty of reasons for you to believe in God. But to say there's no God? That's called a universal negative. That's called atheism. Um, I think I t- told the story about this uh, young, young man named Andrew who came to me when I was preaching at Vanderbilt as a, a campus minister there. It was the first night, and he comes up to me afterwards, and uh, he says, man, that was awesome. I enjoyed that. And uh, Deborah and Chris, remember the first night, we'd always have tons of students that first night, just like here at Redeemer in September. And, uh, and so this young man comes up to me. I don't know if you remember this kid named Andrew, but he came up to me afterwards, and he was, i never forget, he, he was just such a neat guy. He said, man, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that, but I'm an atheist. I said, really, where are you from? He said, New York. And uh, I said, let me guess, you're a freshman. He said, yeah, how'd you know that? And I said, you want me to be honest with you? He said, sure. And I said, well, only freshmen say such things. You need to go take a philosophy class. And the philosopher will tell you that's a universal negative. And uh, so at best what you need to say is I'm an agnostic. I don't know. And he said, okay, I'm an agnostic. You've convinced me. Let's get together. And I said, well, why would I get together with you? And he kind of looked. Of course, I'm doing what we call diagnostics, but... Uh, and I'll, cause I said, look at all these students around here. All these students, I know this one and that one. I know Chris, and Chris is a new Christian, and Chris really want to know who Jesus is. Why do I get together with you if you want to argue with me when I can't get around to the students who really want to know who Jesus is? He's looking at me like, wow, dude. And I said, I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. You read the first six chapters of John, and I'll get together. We'll talk about it. <clears throat> okay? You read, you read the Word. So I'd see him in the cafeteria two weeks later and three weeks later, and, and I'd say, hey, Andrew. He said, no, I hadn't read it yet. I said, okay, well, let's not waste our time. Because I got people over here that are reading it. And now when you decide uh, you read it, I, but I don't get together with me until you, you read it. I'll tell you something interesting about Andrew toward the end of the, uh, end of the story here. But, but you see, the evidence is that there's a God. Can, can, I, can I just prove God? And matter of fact... Jesus told, told uh, the people that doubted, said, you know, if Moses came back from the, I mean, your brother came back from the dead, uh, if they saw you come back from the dead, you, they wouldn't believe. If they don't believe Moses, they're not going to believe that. Plenty of evidence to believe that. Uh, Dr. Schaefer, I see you sitting in the back. I'm glad you got back from China. Uh, your, uh, your um, uh, what do we call him? Companion, your, uh, uh, what's your week? Uh, colleague, Wes Allen, Dr. Wes Allen. He came here to Redeemer. And he spoke on what you've spoken on before, which is irreducible complexity. Did I get that subject right? Okay, the, the, kind of the, the numbers on, on, okay, if you're going to believe in X, you know, the numbers have got to back it up. And I'll never forget Wes Allen. I don't know, uh, Dr. Schaefer, if you've, if, you've, if you've heard him give this lecture. 
But he starts flipping page after page after page after page of things that go on in a particular enzyme. I, I don't, enzyme. Okay, something like that. Okay, quantum, quantum something. And uh, if you don't know about quantum, it's a bald-headed guy in the back uh, with a beard. Uh, and so he kept, he said, okay, here's what's going on in that. He flips the page, and there's like it's an electrical, electrical circuit board. And then he says, okay, this is what's going on in this proton. And, and it was like thousands of things, and there's a little proton. And he flips the page, and there's just thousands of things going on. And he's freaking me out. And so he goes through about eight pages of this thing. And if, if I'm an unbeliever, I'm going, wow, this is, this is really amazing. What are the statistics on this? Man, and correct me if I'm wrong. You can say it afterwards, uh, Dr. Schaefer. But I, I think he said at the end, which really blew me away, he said, the smallest thing in your body compared to your body, compared to your body, the smallest thing, uh, your body is smaller to your body than your body to the galaxy. Does that sound about right? Well, okay, anyhow, anyhow, he said that. You have to take it up with Wes. <laughs> and, and I went, oh my gosh, at the quantum level, I mean, this is amazing. I'm telling you, the fool is set in his heart. There is no God. Can I prove God? No. But the evidence is there. But if everybody goes to heaven purely on the evidence, then, then where's humility? Where's faith? Well, I need to come to the last point here. So you see, our hearts are corrupt. I mean, I could read you passage after passage. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 3 when he's saying, why you need Jesus Christ? He's saying, because the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, you're all guilty. And the way he says it is, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they are unprofitable. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And he goes on to say, well, why did God give the law? He said, so that the whole world, including me and you, might be condemned. And shut our mouths. Are you a fool this morning? Then I want to tell you, you're bucking everything I'm saying. Well, last point. Last point is this. The, the, full source, uh, the full source of information we see, the problem with the source is he's corrupt. Thirdly, only the God of grace who knows all the information can change the fool's trust in the wrong information. Let me ask you this. Forget corruption. Let me forget corruption for a minute. If you're a human being and you have a brain, what's going to happen to that brain in about 100 years from now? It's going to rot. Okay? Your brain is kind of stuck up there in your head and it's very finite. So you, you can at best... Make an assumption. But Almighty God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He knows everything you've ever thought or ever will think. If God could learn anything, He would cease to be God. That's the God we serve. That's the God who our text tells us looks down from heaven. And what does He see? A bunch of foolish people, including me, okay? Including me, including you. First row, second row, third row, right on back. Johnny, you're a preacher. And you were foolish for all those years. You didn't believe the gospel, did you? It took, God, it took the Holy Spirit, didn't it? And people lean to all kinds of stuff. Presbyterianism, Roman Catholicism, my husband, my wife, my dad's a preacher. And let me tell you what, you're a fool if you do that. You must submit as a fool 
to the grace of God. And this is what the psalmist says. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion. And we're going to look at Mount Zion next week, so I'll spend more time talking about that. But Mount Zion, Zion, there's seven hills. That was where they built the temple. And what did the temple represent? Two things, and I'll close on this. Two things. Number one, it represented the presence of God. And God showed up to Israel. And when he showed up on Mount Sinai, I'm telling you what, the Japanese weren't there, the Chinese weren't there, American natives weren't there, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Brits, they weren't there. Israel was there. And they saw Almighty God come on that mountain. And it was on fire. So God comes in his temple. He draws near to his people. Now here's the problem. When you want to say, well, I want to know you, God, you enter into his presence and he begins to search you. And so you just back up and say, I don't think about it. I don't read the Bible. If I read the Bible, I have to think about God. If I think about God, I can't do porn. I can't do this. I can't do that. You get that? I can't gossip about people. I can't cause division within the church. Because every time you read the Bible, it is going to tell me and you what God is like and what we should be like. And you know what? If you're like me, you're pretty cruddy. You're pretty corrupt if you're like me. Your purest thought is corrupt. And you go, man, pastor, how am I supposed to do something about that? Well, you know what? He says that salvation would come from Mount Zion. Because you see, this God understands our situation. And not only was the temple the place that God showed up, the temple was the place that God gave priests and mediators so we might enter into His presence. And who comes from Mount Zion? Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. The infinite God in human flesh to live the life that you and I do not deserve. And I want to tell you what fools deserve. Fools deserve to die, according to the Bible. But you see, here's the gospel. God chose what is foolish to baffle the wise. And what is foolish? Let me tell you what's foolish. Is that God would become a man to be our mediator, that he would come out of Mount Zion into this world to be crucified for mine and your foolishness. I want to ask you something. Are you born again? Not do you go to the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, or you got a Redeemer. I'm not asking if you do RUF. I'm asking, have you ever, in faith and repentance, come to this great King? Because if you haven't, you're foolish. And let me say to you who are professing Christians, you go, well, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't get that much out of the Bible. I don't really, I, you know, I'm kind of waiting on God to zap me or something. I'm telling you, you're a fool. The Bible says you're a fool. And, it is the, and what you need is to ask God to let you see that your foolish life affects everybody else. I don't have time to look at it in the text, but it says, they eat up my people like bread. And we do that, don't we? And then here's the grace of God coming in Jesus Christ. Uh, Johnny uh, is part of a ministry where the, uh, another Presbyterian minister came to Christ after he'd been a preacher for a long time, a guy named Jack Miller. And he's the one, you probably heard it, and I love what he says. He says, uh, cheer up, you're worse than you think. Feel bad about yourself? You feel, am I making you feel bad? Great. If you're mad at me for calling you a fool, then you're a fool, because I'm a fool. I'm one fool telling somebody else a fool. You're far worse than you ever imagined, but you can be loved more than you ever dared hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ gives you his righteousness. The foolishness of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? 
You can be saved today. You can be free. And know Jesus Christ. Now let me close with uh, Andrew. Remember the student I told you about? Well, I hadn't seen him for three years. And, uh, and of course, he was downtown. I had an office downtown. A guy let me use, have my name on it. And he was selling stuff. I could see Andrew selling stuff. And, and I wasn't there. I wasn't there. And he saw my name, and so he asked if he could go in the office. And so he went to my office, and, uh, and he signed a note. He said, hey, Pastor Farnsworth, I don't know if you remember me. I'm Andrew. I remembered Andrew. He said, I'm the kid that was from New York. He said, I'm the kid that said uh, I was an atheist. And uh, I'm the kid that you said uh, uh, I'll get together with you when I read the first six chapters of John. And then uh, he said, uh, so I just want to say, hey, and boy, I sure would love to get together with you. And he signed his name. And then he had P.S. Guess what P.S. said? I read the first six chapters of John. <laughs> well, you know what? I had to move here before I got to talk to Andrew. But you know what? If God has mercy upon him, I think he started reading and started looking at who Jesus Christ is. And when you do, you'll see what a fool you are if you reject him. Would you come to Jesus today? I, he is good and gracious. Don't die a, a fool's death. Don't believe in fool's gold. Jesus Christ said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He will do that. You got to keep on coming though, don't you? I believe once saved, always saved. I believe in imputation and all that stuff. But you got to keep coming. All right, let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your word. And now as we come to the Lord's table, uh, Lord, can this, uh, we ask that this would be a joyous occasion as the real presence of Christ is here as we're lifted into heaven in the very presence of God. Uh, Lord, uh, would you convert people this morning? Would you cause people to confess that they're fools and that they will remain so unless uh, they say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a fool. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.